Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the next edition of the big broadcast. Know the world over is the Jiggy Jaguar show. got to make my microphone adjustments. I've got to make microphone adjustments. This man. This man. And uh, thanks for joining us this week here on our big broadcast. We want to thank everybody. Um, I was just getting ready to go to my guest, and he's out. He's nowhere to be found. So Let's do this. You need to go help these folks. Go over to sportthunder.com. Search. Be part of the journey to the podium. That's right. The Daring Jet Team at sportthunder.com slash D-A-R-I-N-G-J-E-T-T-E-A-M. That's right. Give some of your hotter money today because the Derek Jet team is one of the six Jet One Cup World Championship competing fighter jet teams. The Jet One Cup is a modern gladiatorial contest where contestants engage in aerial skirmishes in the first ever fighter jet air-to-air combat competition. Six teams of two fighter jets, two ground computer gamers, weapon simulation operators, and eight pit crew members. A spot that merges the audiences of Formula One and eSports for a completely new adrenaline-fueled form of entertainment. Go over and help these folks today. They need your help. Go over to sportfunder.com slash daring jet team that's d a r i n g j e t t e a m and tell them you heard about it here transmedia worldwide give us your hot or money right now Attention Medicare beneficiaries. Are you getting all the benefits you need? If you have Medicare, you may now be able to get new benefits. Benefits may include eyeglasses, wellness visits, gym membership, meal delivery, and hearing aids with low copay. To find out which benefits you qualify for and to find out if you're getting the benefits that you deserve, you need to call Best Medicare. Our licensed insurance agents can look up your current benefits and tell you what additional benefits are available to you. It's easy. Just one call. Tell us the deductible you prefer, the doctors you want to see, and if you want prescription drug coverage. The service is free and you have no obligation. You may even find plans with zero monthly plan premiums, zero co-pays on many services, and zero deductibles. You deserve every medical care coverage benefit out there and we'll help you get them. Call 800-991-7014. 800-991-7014. That's 800-991-7014. And let Best MedCare do the work for you. 
incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. We have got a brand new GoFundMe campaign. We need you to give them some of your hard-earned money. Over there at E-Luggage Luxury Shipping Services. They take your luggage to your destination, so you don't have to. This is absolutely amazing. Carlton Chandler with us today. The project team has not yet produced a working demo, but they do have a concept. Their ability to successfully produce a prototype may be affected by product development or financial challenges. Check it out today. These folks really need some of your hard-earned money. Over there at Indiegogo.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Search the letter E, luggage, luxury shipping services, and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia, worldwide, give some of your harder money right now. The Jiggy Jaguar Show has been broadcast online over the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network for over five years running. Success and loyal listeners worldwide, from the UK to the central part of the United States. To advertise over the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Network, please email our sales reps at kjagradio at kjagradio.com. I think we have got our guests. We are going to find our guests. And uh, we will get him in here. IQ Arizona and the rest of the crew. Get everybody in. And we shall see what happens. Unavailable. So we are going to go to IQ Rizzoli and supposedly I talked to him five months ago, according to So we will see what happens here. IQ in here, maybe. There's IQ Rizzoli. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thank you. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> By the way, how was your trip? I heard you. I'll tell you, we had quite the uh, quite the fun. Um, I am going to be putting up a video a little bit later on of uh, me basically getting paddled by uh, a woman by the name of Pagan the Stallion. So uh, that is that is going to be quite entertaining. So I'll, I'll I'll get you a link as soon as I. <laughs> As soon as I get that up. And uh, let's see if we can get our guest in here. I tried to call him earlier, and uh, he was supposedly ready to go, and uh, he was all excited, and then I called him, and I didn't get nothing. So we're going to see if we can. How was your Arabian slave girl? I'll tell you, she is fantastic. She is amazing in person. Uh, you know, if I would have been talent tested, I could have probably went to her room, but, 
<laughs> but I wasn't talent tested, so uh, that was that was not going to be happening. However, I did have a very interesting uh, conversation with her at the bar on Thursday evening before the convention started, where we talked about all sorts of different things as far as production goes. Um, I'll tell you, you know, the porn industry, everybody and their brother is having to become their own editor, having to become their own lighting guy, having to become their own everything. And so it is very interesting to see and hear what some of these conversations are uh, about how they set up their productions and, and do all these things. So it was, it was quite entertaining. Um, I did wear my Christmas suits, which are always, uh, really fun. Um, Brittany cannot stand them because I'm not wearing, I'm not wearing them during Christmas. But my view on this is that that's why I don't wear them during Christmas because everybody else is wearing them during Christmas. So, but, uh, I sent you another one, Jiggy. <laughs> okay. I no, will. No. About ten minutes ago. I oh, think, I think okay. Well, and I haven't I haven't checked email here in a few, so I will do that uh, as we go on here. But um, IQL Rizzoli, Don Mazzella, and uh, I am going to attempt to get our guest in here. He is now trying to call me, so I'm going to try to get him uh, in here. It's wanting me to not. No, we're not doing that. I'm gonna add him to the call. We're not. We're not gonna. We're not gonna hang everybody up and then call everybody back. We're not doing that. Skype is just so strange when it comes to adding calls and uh, doing all the various things. But um, so Don, uh, I, you have uh, quite the book. Oh, there he is. Our guest is Oh, our, our guest is with us. Okay, well, we have finally <laughs> hey, made Jiggy, connection. Hey, Don, I finally got Skype all figured out. Finally go. got him got him connected in here. Uh, we have got a great guest with us today. He is fantastic. He has got an interesting book. Um, I am um, very interested to chat with him today. <laughs> this this is going to be interesting. Uh, Derek Bolin is with us. Derek, tell me and Don and IQ a little bit about your book. Yeah, so uh, the book, James, there's this narrative that the, the rich don't pay their fair share of taxes, that they made all their money uh, off of the poor people, and as the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and that they all just inherit their wealth in perpetuity. All of those statements, completely false. The rich are wonderful for society. They pay far more than their fair share. Most of the billionaires and millionaires today made it in their lifetime. Uh, CEOs are not overpaid. They're like elite athletes, and they get paid about one-tenth the amount of an elite athlete, yet they create trillions in value. And uh, corporate citizens like Amazon and entrepreneurs like Bezos and Elon Musk, they bring nothing but prosperity everywhere they go. And uh, the philanthropy of the 1% is, is second to none. So I just, you know, James, it was like I had to bring out the the true narrative, and it really resonated. the The book was uh, number one in the first week of April, number one nonfiction bestseller in the Wall Street Journal. Hmm. What's the title? Uh, the title is In Defense of Wealth, 
a mm. modest rebuttal that the rich are bad for society. And defense is spelt like defense for a hockey team. I guess that's the Canadian way to do it. But <laughs> lots of things in the book, are, uh, in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, it's very common. Uh, you know, what rich people do for society, it's, it's very common as, as you go around uh, different countries in the civilized world. Well, this this book is well, you're in, you're is at, incredible. You're in the right ahead, place. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, it's it's true. But uh, can you give us some some uh, nuggets that we can, that people can uh, walk away from this? Uh, oh, absolutely, Don. Absolutely. So, first of all, uh, let's start with uh, the uh, as the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's a myth. The business of creating wealth causes the pie to get bigger, and it's it's totally unreported. But uh, poverty levels in the state have declined radically since the 60s, and uh, poverty levels globally declined by about 50 million people a year come out of poverty. And as the world went from 15 billionaires in 1980 to 2,755 today, the percentage of the global population living below the poverty line declined from 45% to 22%, and the trend continues. Uh, to go downward. And then on taxes, the rich don't pay their fair share of taxes. So federal taxes in the United States bring in 1.6 trillion in revenue. It's a big revenue generator for the uh, federal government. And everyone says, oh, the rich don't pay their share. While the top 1% of earners in the United States pay 40% of that income tax. And by the way, this year that's that's being filed, the 2021 tax year, 57% of workers will pay zero federal income tax, which means that that 57%, the we are the 99, you know, they are getting a free ride courtesy of the 1%. And by the way, the 1% don't mind that they pay more taxes than everybody else. I think it starts to get become a bit of a burden when you start to work more than half of your year for the government. But in general, that's how it works. And uh, in, in states like California, it's even a sharper declination. In California, 50% of the state taxes are paid by the 1%. So they pay far more than their fair share in taxes. And then if you look at a uh, company like Let's just say Amazon and people are like, oh, Amazon, you know, they, at, at Jeff Bezos, his, his wealth went up so much. Like, I don't know about you guys during the uh, COVID disruption, but a lot of people got packages delivered to their door and, and the value of Amazon increased $570 billion. And people were very, very interested in the fact that what Bezos owns of Amazon went up $57 billion. <clears throat> and it did because he founded the company. And it was a lot of hard work to make that company. So yes, his value went up 57 billion, but no one talks about who got that other 513 billion as Amazon went up. And uh, it's primarily institutions like banks, pension funds, labor unions, insurance companies, and other institutional uh, investors. They own just over 60% of Amazon and the rest are shareholders like you and me. So when someone in the United States gets a loan for a car, a pension as a teacher or a fireman or a strike pay for a union or home insurance after an event, there's a little bit of Amazon wealth making all of that possible. And then, by the way, that increase of $57 billion and uh, over half a trillion dollars for everybody else, that's a one-time increase. But what happens every year is Amazon employs and pays 1.6 million employees. And they have a job for everyone. Whether you, you never finish school, like, like even grade school, they have a job for you. If you have a master's degree from Penn State, they have a job for you. And they pay more than $46 billion out in salaries every year. 
every year, you know, on and on. They do other amazing things, and, and nobody knows this. They always demonize Amazon, and you could look at, at, at uh, Tesla, you could look at Oracle, you could look at Microsoft, you could look at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. They're all phenomenal uh, wealth creation stories like this. They're just insanely good for society. So that, that might be three nuggets I might, uh, I might throw out on that one. Maybe you should talk to AOC. <laughs> Which one? AOC. What's AOC? Alexandria Ocasio. The Cortez, yeah. Stupid the... woman. Oh, is she? Um, she, she is, is a left of talks... center politician, right? Yes, stupid woman. Completely, utterly stupid. <laughs> Always accusing the rich, keeping the money. You really should talk yeah. to her. Socialists love money more than capitalists. Agreed. They just don't like the people who make the money to be able to choose where to spend that money. <laughs> and you know the the funny thing about about uh, her is she's whatever she says is amplified by the press. There's a big uh, bias in mainstream media in the United States. So in the states. 31% of the population is right or far right, 24% is left or far left, and 43% are moderate. And it's been like that for quite a few decades now. However, when you look at mainstream media, and uh, tech, Arizona State and Texas A&M found out that only 4.4% of reporters are on the right, 60% are on the left. And so you get this giant bias you know, coming out with, uh, well, you, you see it in the presidential campaigns. The uh, mainstream media in general is highly biased towards the left. And, you know, this, it's sad because it means that the young people, millennials, 1981 to 1996, and Gen Z, 1997 to 2012, they currently see socialism as an to the left. In uh, the US, it's 60% on the left, and in Canada, it's 73% on the left. But they don't talk about, you know, what really happens in socialism where you start, you know, distributing the wealth. Like, China went communist in 1949, and tens of millions of people died. Venezuela is a more contemporary case study. So Chavez nationalized the industries, and he said, I'm going to distribute the wealth. And they were a very wealthy country. They have one of the, the world's largest oil reserves. But since becoming a socialist country, 90% of Venezuelans are now below the poverty line. And uh, inflation in 2019 was 10 million percent. That means if you were a teacher on a pension, your pension now can barely buy you a loaf of bread. And the average Venezuelan has lost over 20 pounds in weight due to malnourishment. And, and uh, you know, this, this expression, if, if you're not uh, left of center by the time you're 24, you don't have a heart. And if you're not right of center by the time you're 35 you don't have a brain and somehow there's this catering towards socialism right and uh aoc all of them bernie sanders elizabeth warren and they're they're catering they're really it's populist catering to a younger vote who doesn't really understand the consequences of their choices or their preferences were one of those politicians to get in office well they're going to they're going to pay for it now with under biden with the inflation going the way it is, they, these, young, these young people will not be able to eat. Or, or buy houses. And uh, yeah, it's happening. Well, you, you're, getting the, you're getting the left of the left. And then when Biden says, you know, like, oh, you have to pay your fair share, he's totally ignoring the fact that the 1% pay more than their fair share. And um, implementing a wealth tax on the wealthy doesn't work. 
Uh, the U.S. has tried it. Multiple countries in France have tried it. Uh, when France did the wealth tax, so in 1988, they had a very socialist uh, president, um, Holland, and he implemented a wealth tax. And he said, oh, it's only half a percent to one and a half percent of everything the wealthy people own. So whatever you already bought with your after-tax dollars, every year you'd have to pay a half to one and a half percent on that. So it was a double tax. So it triggered a massive migration of wealth creators and entrepreneurs out and it raised about 26 billion over 17 years in in revenue but france as a country lost 125 billion annually from the departure of wealth creators and uh, macron canceled in 2007 he said it's all well and good to want to spread the wealth but first you need to produce create the wealth before redistributing that's how it works and all the people who were laying the golden eggs we're leaving and taking their money someplace else. It's happening in the States today. California is sending billions and billions of dollars to Texas, Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. You know, in uh, California, the average public sector wage is more than the average private sector wage, and there's more public sector employees. Highest personal tax in the union. And um, there's about 100,000 millionaires in California. And I said the uh, top 1% pays for 50% of the uh, tax. The um, top 0.5%, uh, which are all millionaires in California, they will pay $30 billion out of the $90 billion raised in state taxes for the state. And the state will ironically have a $30 billion surplus. But these people are now all starting to relocate. So Elon Musk doesn't have to sell his homes or anything in California. He just has to get another home in Texas. But along with Elon Musk... Uh, goes all of his philanthropy along with Elon Musk goes uh, SpaceX is in te uh, Texas now the Gigafactory for batteries is going into Texas um, everyone knows Microsoft is the largest software company on the planet but few know that Oracle is the second largest and that has all gone to, to Texas their new headquarters is going to be in Austin all those jobs all that tax revenue, all the philanthropy, everything, leaving California going. In fact, California loses every year. You think it's so beautiful it should have a net immigration. California loses every year a city the size of Anaheim. About 360,000 people leave California every year. And uh, they've just – that's the most uh, socialist and um, – unfair taxation scheme in the United States and you can see that it's diminishing the wealth of California and it's sending the wealth outside. Derek, I have to ask you, what's your background? So I'm an engineer and but I but I started an IT consulting firm and uh, I did this book during COVID and I did it after selling two-thirds of my company and I sold two-thirds of my company for over a hundred million dollars and everybody said oh you know that's got to be so amazing and it is amazing and I but I didn't make that money all of it I, I made a good portion of it because I started the company but I also had 102 shareholders who helped me along the way and they made a bunch of money too and what what people didn't realize is I had been running this company and building it for 26 years and during that time I paid out over four billion dollars in salaries taxes rent leases office equipment four billion dollars I put into society and then at the end me and the shareholders got a small plate of just over 100 million like small relative to that and people don't realize that just like Bezos Bezos is making most of his money for everybody else. I made most of my money for everybody else, but I got something at the end. And um, you cannot become rich 
without giving and spending most of your money with other people and, and other services. And the other I thing you, about- you, are, you are such a refreshing voice, honestly. <laughs> I mean it. Look, you are you are successful because you worked hard for it. Mm-hmm. And you know and you know your subject. I mean, from what I'm listening, I believe you know exactly what you're talking about. I have absolutely no doubt that the figures you gave now, I can double check them and you are right. I'm not going to double check them, but I'm just saying, I, that's my impression. And you yeah. deserve what you got. Ah, thank you. Thank you. No, no, and, I'm not and, trying to. Uh, no, 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 you're, you're bang on. And my book, that's why I put so many citations in my book. Like I put citations in my book. Like if you want to know where that fact comes from, it comes from uh, the United States government. It comes from, you know, uh, a credible news source. It comes from Google Scholar. Like these are actual stats because nobody believed me when I wrote the book. Even my publisher said that's not true. You know, I told my publisher, I said, listen, 70% of all billionaires walking the planet today made their money from scratch in their lifetime, and 88% of all millionaires walking the planet made their millions in their lifetime. And my publisher didn't believe me. My publisher said, no, everybody inherits their money. And I'm like, no, they don't. Most people make it. When people say, when people go after the 1%, they forget that 1% is going to be a different group every generation it's very very rare that people can hang on to their money for more than three generations 70 percent of people who have wealth will lose it by the time their grandchildren are are adults they'll be back you know in in the uh in the general economy and for those that do manage to retain it, it it means that the the kids have worked really really hard to continue to build that legacy but it's not the rule it's the exception and so you're right all these stats I had to really, really work for them, really, really prove them out, because even my publisher didn't believe me. How long did it take take you to to put it together? It it took me a year to write the book. That was quick. Yeah, it was quick. (laughs) And then it took me six months to get all the citations. For for instance, uh, uh, my publisher said also, oh, if you had $10 million, there's no way you could lose that in your lifetime. And I'm like, if you have a billion dollars, you can lose it in your lifetime. And, and, and so she made me get multiple citations showing that this happened. And so it was a year to write the book and then another six months to really beef up the citations so that – because all the things I'm saying in the book are – they're, they're against the grain of what most people believe. And, and she just wanted to make sure that I had sound, uh, sound proof. You know, in, in looking at that, I looked at lottery winners. And uh, <laughs> lottery winners that win like 100 million, 70 million, you know, Powerball winners, 70% of them, almost 70% of them are broke and in debt two years after winning the lottery. That's why the lottery is now, instead of giving a lump sum, they say, we're going to give you $1,000 a day or $100,000 a year for life. Because they know if they give someone, you know, all those millions all at once, there's a high, high probability that most of them will be broken in uh, two years. And so when you look at that and you think, if you're um, children of somebody who made a lot of money, you're just like those lottery winners, and you're going to have to work really, really hard to hang on to that money, and harder still if you want to grow it. Derek, let, let me uh, uh, throw something at you. I, I had someone on my show which pointed out that a majority of children do not want to follow their parents into the family business. Correct. If you, you know, if you think about it, making money and being an elite athlete uh, 
that has a lot to do. Uh, they're 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 very similar, and if you look at it, there there are very few athletes and actors. The majority of athletes and actors, their children say, "I don't want to be an actor," or "I don't want to be an athlete." You know, there's a few who do, like Bobby Hall and Brett Hall in the NHL, or Archie Patton. You know, um, and then you you've got, or, or was it Archie Manning? Uh, anyways. Uh, very few kids do exactly what their what their parents do. Sometimes, you know, when you have a parent who's a doctor or a lawyer or an architect, one of the kids will become that. But you're right. It, it, it each person on this planet has their own needs and interests. And uh, sometimes, if you go to them and say, "Look, I'd like to give you a lot of money, but I, I have to give you all the responsibilities that come with the money," they're like, "I don't want to." No, that's the unfortunate part. They see their parents working 24-7, and they don't want it. It's true. It's true. And, and you know, everybody wants to manage your money for you, and they make <laughs> it look like it's a sure thing, and everybody who says that says that their, their secret sauce is that they'll have a relationship with you. But really, they just want to start uh, getting at your money, you know, and uh, it makes it hard for the next generation on, on knowing who to trust and how to run it. And so families that are successful moving down multiple generations and, and moving the wealth, uh, they, they typically have a family office. They work very, very hard. And the reason that most families lose their wealth is actually just communication within the family and knowing when you need to bring in a professional to do part of the work and when a family member can do part of the work. Because just because you're a family member doesn't mean you're suited to do everything your parent did. Exactly your point there. And uh, the few who can run a family office for a few generations do amazing things. The Borghese family, which was a merchant family in Siena, Italy, at the same time the Medicis were a merchant family in Florence. So Siena and Florence are very close. But in the day, if you only had horses, they'd be quite a distance. The Borghese's were wealthy when uh, one of their children became the Pope. And if you go look at the Vatican, it's Linnaeus Borghese in big letters at the front. They, they built the Vatican for their son. And then they, uh, they have the Borghese Gallery. Half of it's in the Louvre and half of it's still in Rome. But the Borghese family is still running 800 years later. And uh, they're still a very wealthy family, uh, billionaires in their own right. They have makeup lines and uh, bottled water lines and other things. But this is a family that's been able to do it for 800 years. By far the exception. Absolutely not the rule. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up um, about the, the media, and that's absolutely true. If you see uh, the stories of coming out of the New York Times about uh, the Supreme Court, um, uh, the uh, the leak in the Supreme Court. My God, you think the world is coming to its end? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting. Like um, the free enterprise system is is really suffering a crisis of confidence right now, and it, it's easy to understand when you're young the emotional appeal of socialism. You know, it's a viewpoint founded on compassion to take care of others, and it also plays well politically. It's very righteous and it's virtue signaling. And the politicians know the 1% is not enough to vote them in office and not enough to vote them out of office. But the 1% is absolutely necessary to pay for the government programs once they're in office. And, uh, and I think much of the dialogue that we have, again, because of this bias in the media towards the left, much of the dialogue about socialism in our society is profoundly sanitized. The true costs of socialism are so dear, you know, as I was saying about Venezuela. And, um, you know, 
I think that if you looked at an athlete and like uh, quarterbacks like Tom Brady or the Manning brothers in the NFL, like I, I, they're superstar athletes, right? Part of the desire to be the best, that the best of their abilities came from the scorecard. scorecard. It was very clear to them when they were winning and when they were not. And their desire to win football games drove their interest in exercising their abilities to the fullest extent possible, right? And capitalism is like that capitalism is a very very efficient uh system like i don't have my phone with me but my phone's tiny it's a smartphone and everyone on the planet now almost has a uh, smartphone that smartphone wasn't done by a government committee or a government mandate or a government that was charging the most amount of taxes it was it was invented by uh people and it, it originally started with a big cell phone and then you know steve jobs was the one who made it littler and started putting applications on there and and uh, itunes was the first one and those amazing things come from capitalism it's a very amazing system and it has a scorecard if you're good at capitalism people vote for you with their wallets if you're not good sadly you go out of business like people talk about amazon or tesla going up in value and elon musk makes this and 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 i don't know why people are so fascinated with how much with where elon musk spends his money but they have no interest at all where biden is spending everybody's money i, I don't i don't get that part <laughs> you know but I, but, uh, I have to quote you on that one that is a great line <laughs> that that is a great line it's it's absolutely it's absolutely true yeah so you know capitalism is good and and people when they talk about you know Tesla or Amazon, they forget that Blockbuster had a market value of five billion, and and then four years later they were bankrupt. And Yahoo, who was the first internet brand name, had a market cap of over one hundred billion. And uh, I think it was only two years later they were down to a five billion market cap. And and nobody says what happened to that ninety five billion in value that was lost. What happened to all those investors? You know, it goes both ways in a capitalist system. Everybody talks all the time about who made money. They seem to omit who didn't make money, you know, at the same time. And it doesn't have to be a big company. Even on your street, you can have a shopkeeper who's an entrepreneur and a multiplier, and they have four or five employees. And then beside them, you can have some other type of shopkeeper who puts everything into it. But at the end, you know, for working for free uh, for uh, or working for lower wages, because they pay, if you're an entrepreneur, you pay yourself last. And uh, all their staff got paid first. And then if they didn't make it, they go out of business. Nobody talks about that. Everyone talks about what a shame it is that you made money. Nobody talks about what an amazing thing that you took the risk and uh sorry you know that you lost they only talk about one story nobody wants to hear the uh the other narrative and it's equally as valid would you uh, agree uh, if i if i ask the question that almost every human being is a capitalist to start with when they get older <laughs> i <laughs> think every, you know when you when you live at home and uh you know, your food is paid for, you're, you, you have a room, you know, you might have to do chores, but you don't have to do much. And you get everything for free, you get an allowance for free, um, everything. It's, it's easy to say, oh, this would be great. You know, everybody should be a uh, socialist and we can just, you know, all get along and give everybody uh, what they need. But once you get out into the real world and start doing this meaningful exchange, I'll give you all of this time, all of my time, and in exchange, you'll give me money. And you realize that once you get the money, there's a whole lineup of people who want it. 
you know, your your landlord, the utilities company, the grocery store, everybody wants your money. And all of a sudden you realize, my gosh, it is a lot of work to make money. All the stuff I was getting for free living at home is actually a lot of work to, to get it all. And now I've got to pay it all back. And that's when you become a, a, a capitalist. And I think there's a third stage to that too. You know, in, in uh, philanthropy, when you look at people who make a lot of money, like uh, uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, in the beginning, people are like, when are they going to do charity? When are they going to start giving it out? And, you know, but if you look at it, they, they are still working on their business. Like Elon Musk was still working on Tesla and on SpaceX and on the Boring Company. But now you can start to see him start to donate money to society. I think he's put aside $5.7 last year for charitable interests, and his interest is world hunger. Um, in 2020... The largest uh, single donation from a billionaire was $10 billion from Jeff Bezos. Almost got no press. $10 billion to fight uh, climate change. And $790 billion has already funded several uh, nonprofits fighting uh, climate change in the States. So it's the same thing. Everybody you think starts out with socialistic tendencies. Everybody who starts working starts to get capitalistic tendencies when they realize it's it's hard work to make money and, and make the decisions around money. And then I think as we get older, whether it's our time or our talent or our money, we start to volunteer and uh, give, give to others. So I think there's a, a third stage we all go through and you see these billionaires make it at the end uh, bill gates at the end he's donated 42 billion to the bill and melinda gates foundation and uh it, it's like that like uh i think that's where they go at the end and then warren buffett even went further warren buffett said look at the end i'm going to give 99 percent of it back to the society where i made all my money and that's his pledge and they signed up bill gates to it um i think he signed up several other billionaires too so i think that's the three cycles um I'm living for free and I think this is a great system. I, I might be empathetic to socialism. I have to make money. I respect capitalism now and the work that it takes. And then many people at the end say, I've got extra time. I've got extra talent. I've got extra money. Now I can take care of the, the world where I made all my money. Well, I always like the line, I never saw an armored car following the hearse to the cemetery. <laughs> no. No, and and you know, let's say somebody doesn't do philanthropy. So let's say somebody dies and they leave a lot of money. They can't take that money with them wherever they're going. That money does have to come back into the general economy. And so this idea that there's an island somewhere where rich people live and once money goes there, it never comes back is such a straw man. All that money has to come back into the general commerce, the general exchange, whether that person, when that person's gone. So, um, if you are the top one percent in the United States, you do thirty percent of the charitable donations, and if you're in the top one percent in the United States, you do eighty-seven percent of the bequests. And so, the armored car following the hearse, if it's a bequest, that that all that money that would be in the armored car is now being bequested after the person dies to all of the charities that they have uh, interest to. And, and uh, the 1% um, do 87% of the bequests after people die in the United States. Your book again? The name of your in, book? Yes, the, the book is In Defense of Wealth, A Modest Rebuttal to the Charge that the Rich are Bad for Society. And defense is spelt the Canadian way, D-E-F-E-N-C-E. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your book is definitely not modest. 
<laughs> I mean, the figures you're giving from the top you of your head, it. it's not modest. It. It's absolutely destructive. You know what? That's fabulous. You know, it was the publisher saying that, that this is so anti-thema to the mainline narrative that uh, let's just call it a modest rebuttal just so that people will buy Lovely. it. But you're yeah. absolutely true. It is absolutely well-constructed attack against the, the uh, common and false narratives. I hope you make a million. You deserve it. Thank Who's you. Who's your publisher? Um, it's Barlow Books up in Canada. And the main channel for buying the book is Amazon.com. That, that's where most people will find the hardcover, the uh, ebook, and the audiobook. Well, I'll tell you, your, your book is fantastic. Uh, you Thank have you, laid, you have laid out, uh, just, you know, an, an amazing deal here. Um, one of the things that I have always thought is interesting about wealth and the wealthy and, and, and all these things, and especially as, as, as people, you know, grow up and mature, it always seems like, you know, the young people are, Democrats and liberals, and the minute they get some money, they instantly become conservatives. Yeah. <laughs> they instantly, <laughs> they instantly have, uh, like, uh, for instance, I was talking with somebody a, a couple weeks ago, and if if you look at like, um, like Dave Chappelle, when when Dave Chappelle was a struggling comedian, and he was in movies like Half Baked and things like this, and he was trying to make it. You would see him all over the place, and he would be talking about how, you know, why don't these rich people give out their money and help the smaller guy, all this stuff. And then he got the Chappelle show, and he made a ton of money. Yep. And now he's going <laughs> to his local city council in Michigan and saying, I don't want those project houses built near my neighborhood <laughs> it's just it's always so strange to me that you know before they had money they were all about let's give it all away and help help our fellow man and then when they get their money they're like well maybe not so much <laughs> it's exactly true it's exactly what we're talking about everybody starts out liberal yes and after they start working making money winds up conservative and you, and you know what's interesting you know when you talk about the democrats and the republicans i was talking about charity right republicans donate more to charity than democrats period if you look at the chronicle of philanthropy um they did an interesting summary in 2012 of charitable donations and the eight states in the united states that ranked highest in per capita charitable donations voted for John McCain. The seven lowest ranking states voted for Barack Obama, seven lowest ranking in charitable donations. And it's really interesting. Democrats are all about, we want to tell you how to spend your money. But when it comes time for them to actually put their money down to help their fellow man, they lag the Republicans. Well, one of the things- They are, they are hypocrites. They have always been hypocrites. Yes. Oh, yes. the, 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 the ability of the left to tolerate hypocrisy is almost superhuman. I like the superhuman part. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, something, something else I want to get your thoughts on, Derek, and that is fairly recently, 
Um, Florida has decided that they are going to remove uh, Disney's self-governing privileges and do all do some of some of these various things and potentially might cost Florida taxpayers a billion in tax. And one of the things that I think is really really interesting about this is that when Disney was donating to both sides of the aisle, it didn't matter. When the, when they were when they were giving money to the to the Democrats and the Republicans, it was all fine. And then with this whole don't say gay thing happened and then Disney's like, okay, we're not donating any money anymore to campaign finance. We're not going to campaign finance either side. And then all of a sudden when the money got removed, the government officials went, well, if you're not going to be giving us campaign money, I always find this so strange that, you know, you have public officials who are, who are all about, Hey, corporations, Give us cash. And then when the corporations, for whatever reason, take a stand and go, okay, we're not going to do this because of this, all of a sudden the government officials go, oh, my God, we need to rein in all these corporations. <laughs> well, this, it's always so strange to one. me how this works. And there was also the hypocrisy. Like if uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon make a lot of money, that's everyone's in an uproar. If Elon Musk makes a lot of money, everyone's in an uproar. Yes. But if Mickey Mouse makes a lot of money, hey, that's okay. That's okay. Disney's, it's okay for Disney to have a special deal and make more money. Yes. So Florida, you know, if you look at Florida in the 60s, 67, Florida was not the state it is today. It didn't have the bustling high-tech hub. Miami was not yes. an international city. It didn't have the Orlando. Like Disney World, Disney uh, there brings in billions of dollars in tourist revenue. And it, it's the reason all those land prices have gone up. And Florida yes. now is a very wealthy, prosperous state. It wasn't in 67. And, you know, when there's, there's states now telling Disney, if you relocate here, we'll give you the same deal. And, and there always was this deal, like when you wanted railroads to go across America, the railways got special deals. They said, you have the land and mineral rights, 200 miles on each side or 25 yep. miles yep. on each side. And and uh, there, there was a special deal for Disney to come and locate to Florida, which is no longer needed. And I think that, um, you know, there there's my business, your business and our business. I don't think Disney has business in dictating government policy. Right. And and uh, they started to get involved in that and, and they've been cut off and it's actually going to be fine for Disney. They got a really great deal for the last 50 years. They got to compete differently than universal theme parks than other businesses. And now they've got to compete, you know, on the on the same level. And it's the same thing, the, you know, it. it, it they and they can. They're strong enough now to compete on on that same level. I think it'll be good for Disney. I think it'll be good for Florida, and the less special deals you have, you know, the better. But I think Florida and Disney needed a special deal in 1967. Florida to bring billions in tourist revenue to the state, and Disney because they were outrunning the uh, unions who unionized Disney Studios in California. He didn't want to continue to build up California because the unions had unionized his entire workforce. So he wanted to move out to the other side of the country, to Florida, and have his own special area where he could make up the rules. But there's another side to it. Um, he didn't have the, uh, the land around Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, 
came in there, etc. That's what really wow. made him push uh, into Florida. But I'd like to turn this around because I'm sorry, there's a whole other issue here. I think Disney, uh, what the uh, Florida uh, uh, government did was tell corporate corporations that were getting away with, with saying all these things uh, 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 about human rights, etc., that there was going to be a price to pay if they didn't start to balance themselves. I think uh, I think that, to me, is the most important thing. Uh, yeah, maybe a billion dollars, but we all know that that whole deal is going to be rescinded in 18 months just before uh, it goes into effect, and, and Disney's going to have to pay a penalty for it. But to me, the important thing was there was a politician... The Republicans, especially, were saying you can't get away with banging us and and not expect to pay a price, because uh, I don't know if you saw that Amazon just announced that it will pay for anybody anybody's trip for an abortion. I wow, good for Amazon. That is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like we're men. Who has the right to tell a woman what to do? You know, with her with her body you know i i think you see too with the uh the wealthy they they want this freedom of speech like the right to say what you want um the uh fellow who started salesforce he bought time magazine right and he owns time magazine now its revenues were declining and he just said look i want you to do balanced journalism represent the right represent the left but do it in balance and and have a good journalism base it on facts and then um Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for, I think, $247 million or something like that. Same thing. He said, your ad revenue is declining. Your number of journalists is declining. I want you to report the news based on facts. And I want a balanced dialogue. And I think he's doubled the amount of journalists at the Washington Post. And I think that's what Elon Musk is doing. He is buying Twitter because Twitter is really a news source. you know, And uh, he is definitely a free speech advocate. And um, whether Disney... You know, went too far in what they're getting involved with. Weren't, wasn't what they were getting involved with is teaching uh, gender differentiation between kindergarten and grade three. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I barely knew anything when I was in grade three. I certainly <laughs> knew less than that in kindergarten. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people that will say I don't know anything now, and I'm way past yeah, grade I, three. But I, I'd like to point out that the post <laughs> has not changed in the three years that Bezos has owned it. If anything, it's turned it's turned more left uh, since mm. Bezos. If you talk to the journalists, but um, it's an interesting point. He bought it, but but he hasn't had any effect on it. And, uh, what do you think, Don, about Twitter? What do you think uh, Elon's going to do with that? Do you think Trump's going to get back on the platform? Well, for one yeah. thing, he should never have been uh, he should never have been pushed off. I don't, yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> you do, you do not. You uh, and why? Because uh, you, you you turn off the president of the United States. There used to be a time when people stood up when the president walked in the room. But that don't get me on that subject, uh, because uh, 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 and and um, uh, Musk. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Musk is turning out to be the Howard Hughes of, of the, our generation, if you really think about it. And uh, Howard Hughes did a lot 
so did Henry J. Kaiser. And, and these were uh, men who, who were mavericks, if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Elon Musk is that for our generation. Yeah, he's like a Ford, an Edison. He's just making vast differentiated changes for society. I think he's more like Tesla. I'm sorry. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about the car. I'm talking about Tesla, the engineer. Very visionary. Very Way ahead visionary. of his time. Yeah. And if, he, I, he, if I may add a few seconds of words here. First and foremost, as an American citizen, and now that I have a green card, I consider myself an American citizen. Hey. I, would rather, I would rather it cost Florida a billion dollars than have Disney pervert my children. No one outside my, myself and my wife has the right to deal with my offspring without my full agreement. Three items I would fight for unto death, family, home, and country. What do you think? I agree. That's our constitutional rights. We all saw them um, abused a bit during the pandemic with the uh, mandatory vaccines. Yeah. I saw today that India Supreme Court just over overruled the uh, right of anyone in the country of India to mandate a vaccine uh, on anybody. And I think, you know, the, the mainstream media was full of fear porn and I couldn't understand what the numbers were because the numbers changed, you know, as, as less people started dying, they started talking about ICU beds. And then when people weren't in ICU beds and then they started talking about infections and then Florida and Texas dropped the masks and the mandates and, the sky was going to fall, and then it didn't, and then they found a way to twist those two. Uh, I, 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 I agree with you. Like what, what people do to our, um, what rights people have over our bodies, over uh, what our children um, are exposed to. I think those are very uh, close issues to the heart, and I think that uh, <coughs> Disney overstepped in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we're all agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of us who do. And, and I remember, you know, when uh, Trump and uh, Clinton were in the um, race for who would be the president, the bias from mainstream media outlets like the New York Times was so large that it was just, you know, a, a fraction of uh, fringe people that were voting Trump. And uh, I think it was the New York Times even issued an apology to their readers that they got the whole situation so, so wrong the day after the election happened. And, uh, you know, when we say we all agree, yeah. Did you read that apology? I didn't read it. I just heard that it went out. It is not an apology. Please go back and read it. It is one of the most convoluted statements uh, you will ever read in your ever read in your lifetime. The same. I, I'm sorry to get it, but the, there was a subject of a very long discussion amongst journalists. But if you read read that quote apology, it, it's amazing. Uh, the the same with the Biden um, uh, laptop. Uh, I mean, you, if that had been, if they had found out about Trump, it would have been. Oh Trump. my goodness! And what? And and um, uh, uh, all the social media banning any quote of disinformation. What turns out to be a 
uh, factual uh, information. Please don't get me uh, going on that one. Yeah, yeah. Social media has really become like a tabloid, right? Like a tabloid. You used to see the star and other tabloids at the checkout at the grocery store with fantastic stories. And social media really is so much along that line. I like if somebody says it, it's all of a sudden fact. You know, that was a big thing with my book is so many things were believed about the rich just because somebody said it. They had nothing to do with fact. <laughs> but, you know, uh, when, I, uh, when I used to teach my journalism class, I would make them take a story that was covered by the New York Times and covered by the Daily News and ask them to find what the facts in the New York Times that, were not, that was not in the Daily News. And no <laughs> class could ever find that. Tabloids had a place. Quick read. They also, uh, in my view, reached it. Uh, uh, I'm the National Enquirer. Uh, people complain about it, but you know how many stories the National Enquirer um, uh, broke in, in its uh, first 20 years of existence? No, I didn't know that. They actually broke stories. They were actually the first ones. General, no, one of the great unsung heroes of uh, journalism is Generoso Pope, who who bought bought the Enquirer when it was a rag. That you that your opinion of uh, you and I look about the same age. So when we when we were first um, teen, teenagers, I believe uh, the the National Enquirer was that Generoso Pope bought it. And then turned it. In, the a tremendous number of stories were broken by um, uh, by the Enquirer. People don't realize that. Don, do you think that Elon Musk thinks that if he restores free speech to Twitter, that it will have the same effect? It'll break stories or break down stories that are fundamentally false. No, because I don't think he can break the bureaucracy that is the. Uh, uh, that's uh, uh, literally in there. Uh, you, you know, we've all seen, could, uh, when someone buys a corporation, how long does it take for that corporation to really change? Usually it doesn't. Superficially it does. Look at it as a businessman. Uh, I wish it were the case, but I, I have no hope for it. Because look at look at their reaction when he bought when news of his purchase, the, the the people went out there and were crying in the streets. You think they're gonna um, uh, suddenly change the, the, all of their rules because they, uh, somebody bought it? Mm-hmm. Don, if you Good bought point. it, what would you do? <laughs> uh, close it down, but that's me. I would not close it down. I would fire those sons of bitches you're talking about close and down. replace them instantly with younger ones. Conservative. <laughs> Conservative. So don't, you know, I don't, I, I think he will do a fantastic job. He is not a loser. This is so uh-huh. He is not a loser. He doesn't buy things to lose them. I, I, I only hope you're right. But I, but I okay. have very little faith in it, simply because I've seen other corporations say we're going to change, and we can talk about uh, uh, companies you mentioned earlier, uh, Yahoo, for instance. They bought it and said they were going to change it, and four, four, uh, four years later, what you say, five million dollar 
valuation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, five billion. Because the, the, a group came in that said they were going to change it, but you cannot change an organization once it, it reaches a certain point, in my view. You know, but, uh, I've been wrong before. That that brings up an excellent uh, idea that uh, I have for a question here, Derek. Why is it that sometimes corporations will buy things and they spend the money on these things and then they just smash them to bits with a hammer? I, I've never understood the concept of this because why would you buy it in the first place if you weren't going to do anything with it? Well, James, when you when you look at it like that, like there's buyers that are strategic. So if I'm a strategic buyer, it means I'm in the same business that you're in. Yes. So if AT&T buys Sprint, we're in the same business. And one, whoever is the buyer, says my operating system is the best. And I will pick parts of your operating system that I think work well, but I'm just going to integrate you into mine. That, that, that's that. Then you have uh, public companies where you see these disruptors come up on the board and this, the disruptors will say, let's go buy this company and then disassemble it. And many times a company's worth disassembled is far greater than, than the company as a whole. Nabisco, Nabisco Foods, far more valuable disassembled each constituent part got way more market value being disassembled than it was as a whole. And so sometimes when you see these uh, Pershing is the hedge fund in uh, New York, they will buy companies to disassemble them because there's always a part of a company that is dragging you down, but to another buyer or on its own, it's worth more. (laughs) It's just so strange to me because like, like, like one of the biggest examples of, of buying your competition and then just smashing it with a hammer was when Vince McMahon bought <laughs> WCW from Ted Turner. And yeah. instead of doing what he probably should have done, which was establish a separate TV show, do all these things and build these dream matches forever to where you could just be making money hand over fist. He turns around he has a couple pay-per-views, and then he smashes it, and then it goes away, and it's sitting in a box somewhere in his office. That's it's Ted the Turner's strangest better. thing to me. I'm yeah. like, why would you Ted spend Turner's a couple the, million uh, dollars? Personality. Yeah. That's an example of a personality. He absolutely hated that group. Yes, he did. Oh, he hated it. <laughs> oh, my God, he hated I WCW. He I think he bought it to destroy it. But yeah. And Ted Turner was the better businessman. Ted Turner said, I don't actually need this yeah. and it's valuable to someone else. I'm going to sell it to that person. That's right. Because I'll get I'll right. get more money selling it to that person. And that's, that's again, right. capitalism is very efficient. It's very efficient. And if it's worth nothing, no one will vote for it with their wallet, you know, and yeah. uh, they'll be gone. If it's really worth something, people will continue to vote for it with their wallet. Well, and, and then and then you take a look at something that just happened fairly recently that that I just find so strange is that you had CNN who had launched this thing called CNN Plus, and they had this streaming service. They'd put a bunch of money into it, and then they get purchased by Discovery. Discovery comes in and gets everything, and the first thing Discovery does is shut down CNN Plus. I'm yep. like, why? 
<laughs> what because you... they couldn't talk. That was it's the so strange. reason why. They were going to shut it down. They couldn't legally say to the two uh, Warner Brothers, don't do it because we're going to shut it down. That, that, because the SEC said you can't. Am I correct on that, Derek? I don't know, but that sounds right. And uh, there again, CNN was the smarter businessman between the two. And and sometimes you see things collapse just because the market collapsed on them. Like Steve Case had AOL, America Online, and he bought Time Warner when America Online's equity yep. was huge. Yep. And then it immediately collapsed as everybody realized, I can get an email address anywhere, and there's, it, there's no magic to it. But he still had all of his uh, Time Warner empire which you know he, he bought businesses come up and down if you look at the uh, s p 500 the top companies 30 years ago are not the top companies now i mean general electric's not even in the mm-hmm. in the running you know for top company it changes that's the wonderment of capitalism you know and we need it and we need wealth creators and for a great society and there's a lot at stake here like the the united states is arguably any given day, regardless of who's in power, still the greatest nation on earth. It's 30% of the global economy. Yes. And, you know, a, a good nation runs with uh, capitalists who make the money, government who takes the money to provide some services, and then government who redistributes the money, you know, to the arts and other other uh, institutions like that. And uh, that's what's at stake when people say, well, we can do it all without those people making the money. And, and we can do it all with false narrative and, and false accusations and uh, false media on the people who make the money. They get into this uh, loop where all of a sudden we can do it just with government and redistribution of the funds, but forget that the funds have to be made in the first place. And that's when you fall into a deep, dark hole. Like well, and, and one more thing before, before we wrap things up here. You, you, you have a situation also where you have people who have, you know, like, for instance, uh, one of the biggest things that I find absolutely amazing was when Rush Limbaugh passed away. And how iHeartRadio or Clear Channel or whatever the hell you want to refer to these people as, they had a year. They had a year. He announced on the air, hey, I've got cancer. We're going to fight it. You know, all this. Okay, if I was iHeartRadio, Clear Channel, whatever the hell you want to say, at that time, I would have said, okay, that's awesome. He's going to fight it. And that's the way things are going to be. But in but on the other side, I would have been like Howard Stern used to say at one point, if you get cancer, start digging your grave tomorrow. Um, I would have immediately started having some sort of backup plan. I would have found an, the, the host who was eventually going to take over. And I would have started, you know, when Rush is gone on, you know, medical treatments or vacation or whatever, you have that guy fill in. And then at a certain point, once Rush passes on, the audience is already familiar with him, and they stick the guy on the air. Instead, Clear Channel and iHeartRadio <laughs> went ahead and played old clips, didn't know what to do for six months, and then went, uh, go grab these two guys. <laughs> I'm the friend of Derek. I could tell you the answer to that one, but Derek, what do you think? Yes. I, I, Don, I'd like to hear from you. <laughs> He wouldn't permit it. They had that too, and that's another. That's no, another he thing. Permit it. Yeah, his ego would not permit it. 
The uh, same thing was, with Larry uh, King, right? It was yes. not permitted. Yes. Um, Whereas Johnny had, Carson they, permitted it. Yes. Yeah. But uh, that's the story. Um, uh, and that does not shock me. <laughs> that does not shock me one bit. Hey, Derek, you got to come on my show. We'd have a good time. Don, I would love to. So as we wrap up here, let's start with IQ. IQ, how do we get your books and everything? Well, just Google my name, Al Rasuli, A-L-R-A-S-S-O-L-I. Most important thing is we had a fantastic guest. And yes. I wish you the best. Really, I mean it. Thank you, IQ. So, Don, uh, you've got a new book coming out. Give us yes. an update on this. Well, uh, Two SB Digest, you know, two sbdigest.com, Small Business Digest, uh, the National Robotics Education Foundation, the hyphen NREF.org. That's my contribution. No, I'm not a billionaire. But anyway. <laughs> so, Derek, how do we get your book and get in touch with you online, my friend? LinkedIn is me for online, Derek Bullen, D E R D E R E K. B-U-L-L-E-N, and uh, the the book is on bullenbooks.com, but it's easiest on Amazon.com. Just search Bullen, B-U-L-L-E-N, search the word wealth, and my book will come up top of the list. Okay. Fantastic. Well, everybody, this has been tremendous. And uh, IQ and Don, I'll talk to you next week. And Derek, I will talk to you soon. And Derek, I'm going to connect you and Don on email a little bit later so you guys can uh, trade information. Thank you, guys. Thank you, James. A pleasure Great. being on your show. There they go. Bye, that is Derek Bullen, Don Mazella. And uh, it is indeed replay time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.